Warning. This episode contains foul language and disturbing content. Discussions of rape and murder, as well as the abuse of indigenous people and police brutality. Listener discretion is advised. are listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, bizarre, sinister, bloody, sneaky, stretchy, shadowy, and everything in between. Each week we sit down together or with a special guest and we talk about something weird. weird. Last week we got to finally sit down in person with our first guest since early 2020 and jump into some Canadian hometown haunts. We had an absolute blast and wanted to continue our Great White North chat, but just a heads up, this week we are going a bit darker. We are taking a turn into Canadian true crime, and it won't be the most uplifting episode you've ever heard (laughs) on this podcast. Do you believe, like most of us Americans, that every Canadian citizen is just the sweetest little maple syrup-covered angel in the whole wide world? Well, we're about to crush your dreams, because even Canada houses some horrible and evil human beings that are just out to cause pain. If you are up for it, grab a coat and a cozy blanket as we journey back to the north. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. Hi, weirdos! Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Canada. DJ was so much fun. He's truly the best. So funny, really so is. kind, so precious. Yeah. Liked him a lot. I know that you guys liked him too because we got a ton of messages um, telling us so, and I choose to believe you when you compliment <laughs> me. <laughs> yes, we uh, accept but it. it was also just so much fun recording in person again. I was like riding on a cloud. Yeah. We, I felt like that was the hardest we had laughed in a while. I mean, partially because DJ is so funny, but also just because when you can see someone's face and how they're reacting to something, it is so much more special. And I missed seeing those shocked faces when one of us says something ridiculous. And it was, it was just so, so much fun. It was a blast. And even like after Lauren left and drove home, she got home and she texted me and she was like, I have so much energy. And I was like, me too. (laughs) Like it was just, it was a good time. And I'm glad you guys liked it and could tell that we were having fun through the microphones. Yes. Sound like you were having a blast right there with us. Before we get into it today, I wanted to give a shout out to some new uh, patrons. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Hello. Uh, Welcome back to the Weirdo Club, Devin Maybe and Kayla Ling. Hi, Devin and Kayla. Hi, guys. Thank you. As we've said before, you can always donate to the show, get all your bonus goodies and leave for a bit and come back when you built up some episodes. We will never be offended by it because we love you unconditionally. That's it's not real. true. If you murdered someone, I would have to... Draw the line, yeah. I would have to draw the line for sure. It would be a struggle inside me, but... Sure. We, we'd we fight it a little bit, but we have to have some conditions. Yeah. That is true. Hello and welcome to Sarah England, who has a black cat silhouette as her photo, and I'm super into it. We already love you. Thank you. Emily Litz, thank you so much. 
Hi, Emily. Brendan B. Perry. Hi, hello. What up, Brendan? <laughs> Nelaney and Drew Martico. Okay, this was so cool. They donated to the Patreon. I actually went to high school with Drew. He was oh, wow. one or two years older than me, so we never really like hung out or anything, but they donated to the Patreon and said that they listened to our show together all the time, and they talked about the episodes, and I just thought it was the coolest thing, and it made my week. So hi, guys. That is so cool. <laughs> I think I saw a few messages come in from them, and I yes. just saw like something about Centralia and was like, oh, that's so much fun. Uh, also, congratulations on your engagement. <gasps> Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe we can have a joint wedding. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Joe and I will get married eventually. Hello and welcome as well to Alana Peters, Lauren Clark, not your Lauren Clark, a different Lauren Clark. So close. <laughs> Allie Farmer and Ashley Morningstar. No Hello. way is that your real name. And if it is, write us. I need to know. We have to know if it's real. And also, are you a news anchor? Because I would want to wake <laughs> up with a Morningstar. <laughs> I don't think uh, a I don't think a news anchor could get a job as a news anchor with the name Morningstar. Not in America, at least. There's so many Christians. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's probably true. That can't happen. Yeah, they'll be like, not in my country, not here, not for me, not Lucifer's name. Anyway, thank you all <laughs> so much for donating to our show. Thank you, listeners, as well, for allowing space for them to receive shout-outs in occasional episodes. It's very cool of you to not complain about that. <laughs> we uh, we really can't tell you how much donating to our Patreon does for our show. We chose to do that over ads, even though it's a lot more work with a lot less money. We just hate listening to ads, so we assume that you would as well. And uh, we produce two bonus episodes a month for you guys with amazing Amy Hanselman and your favorite hothead, Handsome Joe. And we also send out a newsletter on the last day of every month that we put more weird stuff in. So if you have an extra one, five, or ten dollars a month that you'd like to throw to your favorite show, you can do that at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. Sorry. <laughs> I felt a burp coming on from the beginning of that sentence, and I didn't let it oh, out. Oh, geez. <clears throat> the fact that you got through it so beautifully. Mm -hmm. I'm very impressed. Which, here's the thing. I'm an adult. I can just stop and belch. I'm it's also true. the editor of the show. Whatever. Yeah, so you can really do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> alert, alert, alert. Monday. On Monday. So in three days. Trace Diaz. Ask Me Everything premieres. Joe and I are dropping the first five episodes, and it would really help us out with, like, stats and all that stupid stuff you have to worry about when you have a podcast if you listen <laughs> on Monday or whenever you get a chance next week. Uh, so the show is called Ask Me Everything. There is a 10-minute sneak peek available on iTunes and Spotify right now, and you can follow us on Instagram at Ask Me Everything Podcast. We know you all love Handsome Joe, so you're going to be obsessed with this show. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. All of the questions you guys have been putting out on social media are so, so good. It's so much fun. I love seeing the way everyone's responding to them. So it's like it's you and Joe saying like the most wonderful, hilarious things. But also I love the interaction with everybody else who gets to chime in. It's been such a blast. Yeah, we're hoping we can make it a really interactive show. Um, we're we're yeah. planning on posting like our favorite comments on our Instagram as well. And we have a hotline that you can call and leave us voicemails. Yes, it's going to be hotline. a lot of fun. And the episodes are super short. They're like lunch time short so you can listen on your yeah. lunch break to a whole episode it's gonna be awesome i love that something you can just squeeze into your day at any time perfection
Well, now that we've said a bunch of cute stuff, uh, we're about to talk about some horrible things. So (laughs) another true crime episode. You guys know the deal. We're going to be talking about some dark stuff. It's going to get gross. Uh, If we giggle at something, it's not at the horrors that we are recalling, retelling. Retelling, I feel like is good. Telling, Yeah. yeah. The coffee hasn't kicked in yet. My uh, 7 p.m. fucking coffee has not kicked in yet. I'm super worried about what I'm going to be like at 10 p.m., but we'll see. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we'll see how this night Poor goes. Ashley, yes. We're hoping her brain is going to function. So far, I think you're doing great. So far, so good. I'm just losing words occasionally. Occasionally, my yes. brain's like searching, searching, searching. <laughs> Word not found. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, that was us last week trying to think of the word stocks Stocks. and the amount of people that have texted us to be like, it's stocks. You can tell they're listening to it. And it's like, listen, we Googled it after, (laughs) (laughs) obviously. But we also appreciate you guys shouting it out at your car or at your headset at home. On social media, (laughs) please continue to do so. Yeah, never stop. Um, Okay, I guess we will jump into the darkness. All all you, lady. (laughs) All right, I'm going to kick things off tonight with a Canadian serial killer who was known as the Vampire Rapist. Great! Which just is a lovely, happy, These jolly title. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> um, the Vampire Rapist. I was actually surprised I hadn't heard of this guy just because his okay. signature is very interesting. But I actually, during my research, realized like I don't know anything about Canadian true crime. I was blown away by a lot of it. So let's get into it. There was a man named Wayne Clifford Bowden. He was born in 1948 in Dundas, Ontario, Canada. And unfortunately, not much is known about his life before Mm -hmm. adulthood and before his killing spree that started in 1969. Um, I feel like usually when we talk about true crime on this show, we like to dive into a person's past and see what they went through. And there just isn't a ton of information on his family and his upbringing. But we do know that he was always a very quiet boy growing up and in school, but he was very athletic. So he was always involved in sports and still had a few friends here and there just because of that. He was on the football team throughout his schooling and was super tall and muscular, just really meant to be on a football team. He was like a big brick house. Why am I saying nice? I know. like We hate this guy. I forgot for a second. I mean, congrats on being being good at football. Um, There were no red flags about his home life or his general behavior, but uh, then we learned as a young adult, he did become a male model. He is a very handsome, tall, muscular man, and then he became a salesman. And again, even though he was quiet and shy and more introverted, he was good looking and he was charming. So modeling and sales make a lot of sense for For this guy. Like he knew, he knew how to charm people. He was pretty flirtatious. That was kind of his jam. So that is the background we have on this asshole. So then fast forward to 1969. There's a woman named Shirley Audette. Um, She was Bowden's first victim on October 3rd, 1969. She was found wearing red wine-colored flared pants, a turtleneck, and and a brown leather vest when they found her in the back of her apartment complex. She was raped and strangled with bite marks on her breasts. Very, very intense bite marks on her breasts. Like, that's where the vampire part came from, because it drew blood. They were deep into the skin. Like, this was not just a little love bite. This was, like, I am trying to draw blood kind of bite. Mm. 
Strangely enough, she had no skin evidence underneath her nails, which some speculated that she was willing to go along with the rough sex. It didn't seem like there were any defensive wounds um, like or just any evidence of def- that she was defending herself. Yeah. So it seemed like she had agreed to the sex in some way, but then obviously things went way too far. She was 20 years old. She was only 5'2 and 130 pounds, so she was very small and petite. And she probably didn't stand much of a chance to fight against him anyway, but also, you know, may have known him and may have been dating him at the time. Um, She was living in an apartment complex that was actually right next to Bowdoin's. That's how they met, as they were neighbors. Shirley was living with her friend Kenneth, and Kenneth was out working a night shift the night of her murder, which would cause Shirley to become super nervous. She would always get anxious when Kenneth was out at work. I don't exactly know why, but he did work night shifts, so, I mean, maybe it was just something about being alone in the evening and not being in a super safe neighborhood, but she would call Kenneth several times while at work, and she liked to sit outside, where she felt mildly comfortable, at least. Um, And on Friday, October 3rd, at 2 a.m., Shirley was sitting out front in one of her nervous fits, and that's when she saw Bowden walk up to her. She called Kenneth at 3 a.m. to tell him that she had met someone and she was excited about it, and that was the last time anyone had heard from her. Kenneth tried to call her back at 5 a.m. when he was getting off work and got no answer, and then when he got home, he found the body and then immediately called police, and they yes. pronounced her dead, and it was later found out that she was five weeks pregnant at the time, mm. which is very, very upsetting. And there is a chance that it was Kenneth's baby because some articles did speculate that the two of them were more than friends, while others just said they were simply roommates and buddies. So we're not sure, but nobody knew she was pregnant until after her death, which is very sad that she was having that secret and... Thinking that this guy just wanted to have a nice evening with her and a nightcap, and this is what happens to her. I was going to say, yeah, even five weeks, she probably didn't even know she was pregnant. Yeah, she may not have known. Yeah, five weeks is super, super early. Like, that's like, you you just missed a period. Yeah, it's (laughs) like, yeah, brand spanking new. So that is very true. She may not have known either, but... Just so sad that she didn't even have the chance to know, and that this fool... Ruined that for her and only 20 years old with her whole life ahead of her. So that was his very first victim. And then just a few weeks later, Bowden met his second victim, a woman named Marielle Archambault. Marielle was also 20. She was 5'5 and weighed 105 pounds. Again, a very petite, small, good-looking girl. This guy had a type. She was originally from Quebec and had moved to an apartment complex in Ontario She worked at a jewelry boutique, and one night at a local nightclub, she met Wayne Bowden. She had told friends later on, maybe like a few days later, that she had been completely entranced by a man she met at the club, and she wanted to see him more often. He was unlike anybody she had ever met before. She was picked up from work at the end of the day in, where are we? We're in uh, late November. She got picked up from work at the end of the day and introduced all of her coworkers to Wayne Bowden, but she introduced him as Bill, because that's Mm. what he was going by. So they went out together on November 25th, and the next day, she was found dead in her apartment at 1.45 p.m. That's fucking ballsy. 1969, right? Marielle did not come into work the following day after leaving with this mysterious Bill, so her boss tried calling her, and when there was no response, he went to her apartment to see if she was okay. He was able to get the landlord to open the door, and that is when they discovered her deceased. She was still fully clothed. That's another weird thing is, like, after the sexual assault, it seems like he likes to dress them or at least put their clothes partially on. 
which is just it's so weird it's also weird she had on brown brown pants and a green shirt and three of her buttons were missing her bra and pantyhose had been torn and she had clearly been raped abused and strangled and very intense bloody bite marks were found once again on the breasts the room she found in the room she was found in was appeared to be totally clean and nothing disturbed again seemed like he was invited in you know she had already met this guy been with him at the nightclub like wanted him to be in her bedroom so he used his charm to get in there and there were signs that she had put up a bit of a struggle but again it didn't seem like anything too intense that she probably just didn't even have the chance to because she was also very tiny compared to him the police did find a crumpled up discarded photo and that they decided to release to the public to see if they could get a hit on the person because they started asking the co-workers during the investigation if they knew the man in the photo and mistakenly, the coworker said, yes, that's him. That's Bill. Because the man did look like Bill. He looked very similar to him. So the police put the picture out. They think they finally have this big lead. It's a break in the case. But then family members came forward almost immediately and said, um, that's her father, her deceased father from like five wow. years ago. <laughs> so it was, I'm sorry. I know. I can't help but laugh at that too, that it was like, that was supposed to be the big moment. And someone was like, that's literally that's her, her dad, dad who died a few years ago. Jeez. And she had a photo of him. But in the coworker's defense, they had only met him once and they do have similarities, but it's yeah, also like, Yeah, it's come also on, 1969. Like, it's not like you had HD, like high, high yes. res photographs. 100%. You try to give them a little bit of a pass, but it wasn't great. That was a little embarrassing. But again, they're kind of, Back to the drawing board. They don't really have anything on this guy. Um, and this murder happened just five weeks after Shirley, the first victim. Did they connect them yet or no? They did because of the bite marks on the breast and that they were in like a close vicinity to each other. Okay. Um, so that was about it of just saying like, okay, this seems like the same MO, but they just had nothing else to go on except for the bite mark. But we will talk about the bite marks a little more intensely in a little bit. Okay. So his third victim, Jean Wei, was again, a very beautiful, very petite young woman, age 24, 4'11", very small and 110 pounds. All these tiny, sweet girls. Yeah. I wonder if that was a choice because they were easy prey or... That's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, just because he knew he could get away with it and I don't know. Or sometimes when victims choose small people, it's because they have, as weird as it sounds, they have a fetish for like children, but yeah. they wouldn't stoop that low. Like that's They're too not going to go for, for pedophilia. Yeah. yeah. They're not pedophiles. They're just rapists and murderers. And it's like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just rapists sure. and murders. But um, no, I could totally see that as well, because these these were very young very women, but young still of tiny. age. But yeah, but all so small, which, yeah, I, I mean, and it could be a little of both. Like he maybe he does have a thing for he wants it to be like a childlike adult. And in the same vein, oh, well, now I can overpower Easy, them yeah. as well. Ugh, but either way, he's a piece of shit. Um, so she, yeah, she's 24, 4'11", super tiny. She lived on Lincoln Street, Montreal, and she was dating someone. So she was not open to dating, unlike the other girls. She had a boyfriend named Brian Caulfield. They'd been seeing each other for a little over a month, but they were totally smitten. Um, January 16th, 1970. So we've fast forwarded now to the next year. Jean and Brian had been out at the local clubs until 3.15 a.m. Brian stayed for about four hours and then left. 
And then Brian called Jean on Saturday, January 17th to make plans with her, but she didn't answer. And he just decided to show up at her house because they had talked about the plans the night before. And he's like, okay, it's weird that she's not calling me back, but I'm just going to go because we had said 8 p.m. So Brian shows up at her house thinking like maybe she's just hungover and tired. He gets to the apartment around 8.15 and knocks on the door. There's still no answer. And again, maybe it's just because it was the 70s, but for whatever reason, he wasn't overly concerned. I Again, I don't know if it's because he thought she was still just exhausted from the night before when they were out late and he was giving her a pass. But after knocking for a few minutes, he decides, I'm just going to go grab a drink at this bar down the street and then I'll come back and check on her. It'll be fine. So he goes to this bar, has a couple of drinks, and then he gets back to Jean's around 9.30 p.m. And Brian this time is just able to open her door and go right in. So I guess either like the door wasn't unlocked the first time or maybe he didn't think to try it. But he finally opens the door and is like, what is going on? He sees what he thinks is her sleeping in her bed, except he wasn't able to wake her after shaking her for several minutes. Her body wasn't cold yet, so he was confused if she was just passed out or what. But then when he checked the situation a bit more, he realized that she had a wool belt wrapped around her neck and she was wearing nothing but a green bedspread with her feet being the only thing exposed and there was blood everywhere. Yikes. So... Upon investigation, the the cops revealed that she, even though she did have some bloody marks on her, there were no bite marks on her this time. And the police also found fibers in her hand that showed there was a definite struggle and many defensive type wounds. So she looked as though she was attacked. So this time it wasn't necessarily tied to Bowdoin because this looked totally different and there were no bite marks. We found out later that it was him, but police believe that Maybe the lack of bite marks had to do with Brian coming to knock on the door while the attack was going down, and this could have scared Bowden to go out a back door or flee the scene early or hide until Brian left, something along those lines. It just seemed like because it got so sloppy that maybe Brian coming over earlier in the day had kind of scared him off, so he didn't know what to do. So that's kind of the theme around that, and then he was scared Enough to leave for Calgary this time. He is leaving Montreal, moving on to Calgary for his fourth and final victim, Elizabeth, who had last been seen by coworkers, stopped at a red light sitting in a blue Mercedes on the night of Monday, May 17th. So we have fast forwarded four months in 1971. Um, She had told coworkers, or no, 1971, sorry, we fast forwarded a year. He was laying low for a while. So I think he had gotten super jumpy and like had to start a new life in Calgary. So she's at a stoplight and she sees her coworkers and her coworkers had been told earlier in the day that Elizabeth was going on a date with a new man. So they were like really staring at them. They got a really good look at the car, a really good look at the guy, and they were making their judgments because their friend was going on a date. So they were great witnesses in this moment. Um, Unfortunately, Tuesday, May 18th, 1971, Elizabeth did not show up for her job as a high school teacher. Elizabeth's apartment manager was called and asked to check on her, and she was discovered on her bedroom floor face down dead. Just like the victims before, she was raped, strangled, and did have the very intense bite marks on the breast. Her apartment showed that she had struggled with whoever had attacked her, and when they were lifting lifting the body off of the bed, they saw that a broken cufflink was underneath her. So they have a little something-something, a little bit of evidence left behind. 
The two colleagues who had told police that they saw her the night before, again, had the full description. They had every detail of the blue Mercedes down to, you know, a bobblehead in the window to also a decal that was on the back. Um, One of Elizabeth's friends was able to describe the man pretty well, saying he was a flashy dresser, short, well-kept, dark hair, and that his name was Bill. So they had a little more to go on this time around. And on May 19th, 1971, just the next day, Wayne wasn't very smart. He stayed in the area, and police found the blue Mercedes parked just a few blocks away from the crime scene. So not the smartest on his part. He was about to open the door and get into the car when... Police came after him and arrested him, and Bowden said that, hey, I just, I moved to Calgary from Montreal a year ago. I started a new life here. I started dating this woman, Elizabeth. That was indeed my cufflink that you found, but it was just because we were sleeping together and I left her alive. I left her totally fine. Yeah. She Must was have been fine someone when else. I left. Yeah, he was totally playing it off. Police department was holding Bowden under the suspicion anyway because they weren't buying it, of course, but still just did not have enough to charge him. Until, this is what I think the fun part of the story is, a man named Gordon Swan, an orthodontist in Calgary, was approached by authorities to try and see if Bowden could be identified as the killer through the bite marks on Ah. Elizabeth's breasts. Canada at the time had nothing in their literature about forensic dentistry. They're just... There wasn't anything at the time. Now we go off teeth all the damn time. Yeah, but, but remember, it's actually like bad. Yes. The bite marks. Exactly. Uh, they've proved, unless the thing is, if you have, I feel like especially back then, like if you have very distinct teeth. Yes. You know, then you can I be think discovered. that you can probably figure it out. Yes. It's like, it's like not if you have the a snaggle tooth or but... something. Yes, for sure. Yes. If you have like a very specific smile going on, someone can identify you. But at the time, they really weren't using teeth at all. So this was this was kind of the first time where they were like, can we do this? So Gordon Swan decided to write to the FBI to get more info. And Swan received a letter back from J. Edgar Hoover himself. I know. Telling Swan to get a hold of a man in England who had dealt with between 20 to 30 cases on the same issue, and that he could be an expert on this. So he's like, this is my guy. Go to him. I got a tooth guy. Uh, I got my tooth guy. He's over in England. Just uh, hop on the boat. Get over there. <laughs> um, Gordon Swan, armed with a cast of Wayne Bowden's teeth, made the discovery that showed 29 points of similarities to the bite marks on Elizabeth's breasts. The evidence was so strong that it was able to convince a jury that Wayne Clifford Bowden was guilty of murdering Elizabeth Porteous, was her name, and the judge immediately sentenced Bowden to life in prison. So, as you said, yes, teeth aren't always reliable, but to have 29 points of similarities, he had a unique enough bite that they were like, oh, yep, we got him. And the jury was all on board with it. So... Bowden was transferred to Montreal, where he admitted to the murders of the other three victims after much pressing and actually was dismissed. There was a fifth murder where somebody else bit a woman's breast, but it turned out to randomly not be him. It was just some one and done guy who got arrested for it years later, but that everyone like thought 100% he was lying about it, but got away with that one because it was some other copycat dude. Um, But he got three more life sentences for the three other women and was sent to Kingston Penitentiary where on Wednesday, February 16th, 1972, he began his life behind bars. And then there is one more thing to this story, if you can even believe it. Five years into Bowdoin's sentence, it was 1977, he was somehow granted 
a credit card through American Express. <laughs> what? No one knows how he was able to get a card and why on earth American Express gave a prisoner a credit card, but it happened. He took advantage of the card on a day pass. It was one of those days where you get to go out, but you're like monitored by somebody. You're supervised. Uh, he got to go out. I didn't know <laughs> that multiple murderers got day passes. I didn't think so either, but it is Canada, and I don't understand all the rules of Canada, and I know that they're really nice to people there, so uh, he got to go on a day pass where he got to go to a restaurant and eat there, supervised, but he had the credit card with him, and he managed to escape through a bathroom window and was gone for a full 36 hours oh my God. before he was apprehended in at a hotel in Montreal. Um, three guards were punished and American Express was investigated deeply internally because how did they manage to give a credit card to a life sentence serving prisoner? So a lot of people got in trouble and were fired at American Express and also the people who were supposed to be keeping a close eye on Bowdoin in prison were also punished and most likely fired. But then he got put back in prison. No more credit cards, no more escapes. And he stayed there until 2006 where he actually was diagnosed with skin cancer and passed away. So the vampire rapist is now dead. And because of him, Canada now has a better knowledge of forensic dentistry due to his case, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So, well, first of all, <laughs> credit cards are so easy to get. I remember last they are, year. but still. <laughs> for <personal>. sure. <laughs> no, no, no. It's crazy that he was able to get one. But like last year, Joe was trying to get a new credit card that wasn't like attached to his bank account, like a separate, like disc I think it was Discover. Uh, shout out uh -huh. to Discover. But he yeah. like, <laughs> he applied for it. And they were like, we need this, we need that. And he's like, okay. And he sent it in. They're like, we need this, we, we need that. And he was like, I don't fucking have a copy of that. So just never mind. And then they were like, just kidding. We'll just give you a card. Like, they are so <laughs> ready to give you a fucking credit card. It's insane. They are. It is very easy. It's like dangerously easy. It's like they know that they're just going to take all of your money and then eventually, like, put you into debt and take even more of yeah. your money. But, yeah, I got one when I was way too young when I moved out to California and I was just an idiot 20-year-old who was like, oh, I'm finally away from my parents. I'm going to apply for one. No one should have given me one. I had no credit <laughs> to my name. But they were like, here you go, honey. You go. Enjoy. And yeah, I was definitely in debt for a hot minute. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> no, because they're always like, my statement is like $2,000. And it's like, your minimum payment is $30. And I'm like, how the <laughs> fuck is that? How does that work? How does this work? Yeah. This is a trap. It's very special. Well, so, apparently, if you're a prisoner, you can also yeah, get one. So shout out enjoy, to our, everybody. Um, listeners in jail. I did. Do you know? Did he ever talk to anyone and explain like why he did the biting? He just said it was like a, a kink, something he was into. Yeah. yeah. Which again, it's like I I people do bite, and I know people oh, have sure. rough sex, and like we talked about it on our sex episode, that is all fine. But he was biting these women so hard that it was like breaking the skin. It was yeah, it was breaking the skin. It was drawing blood. It was like almost as if a like tiny knife had gone into their breast. Yeah. So he just he took it a bit too far, and it's. It's crazy. But yeah, it was just kind of a kink of his. And it, I want to know more about his past. As I said before, I just like there is nothing yeah. to dig up about this guy except that he was athletic and charming. So I don't know where the kink comes from or 
what it's about. But he, I mean, even though that he admitted to his crimes, it doesn't seem like he had a whole lot of remorse. I think he just was a bit of an evil man. Yeah, they're lucky they caught him when they did because he, mm-hmm. as you were describing it all to me, I was like, Bundy, 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 Bundy. Yes. Because it's I the almost same. said that at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to give too much away, but it's very similar. Because he would rape and he would bite and all that shit, so. Yep, and he char- he charmed his way into women's lives all the damn time. It's mm-hmm. like the, yeah, it's the Canadian Could've Bundy a lot in a worse, way. yeah, but. Oh my gosh, yeah, I, I mean- horrible that it happened to these four women but i am thankful it was only four it could have been a lot more especially because he had escaped to calgary already and had been you know creating this new life for over a year but thank goodness he got a little sloppy with leaving that cufflink and letting strangers stare at him for long amounts of time yeah i wish i wonder let's see hold on i got my google so There is a book. It's on Amazon. This is not an ad for Amazon. <laughs> but you can get it on Kindle for $2.99. Maybe I'll do that. But it's Bloodthirst, True Story of Wayne Bowden, Vampire Racist. Racist? <laughs> oh, we're Rapist, struggling. <laughs> serial killer. He's probably a racist, too. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> known as Strangler Bill. la da 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 I was yeah, just wondering if sometimes when, when they actually write a book on a person you can find, you can find more. information that you can't find elsewhere and i but this looks like a pretty i don't know it has good ratings i'm it looking at it now good too ratings i yeah i would be curious to read about it because i'm sure you're right there could be a lot more on his past i'm very curious about yeah. things that happened to him even not necessarily as a child i mean maybe his childhood was normal but it feels like there had to have been some kind of a switch in his adulthood so. yeah well this like um this review says uh blah 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 wayne bowden grew up in a home where he was not shown any love or affection as an adult well built clean cut blah 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 have a he developed a taste for blood yeah it might be an interesting read we might have to put that on our reading list oh we were gonna do that this year and we never did I know. We Son had somebody write in and say, will you guys make a reading list? We were like, of course. Of course. And then we failed No miserably. problem. Listen, I'm so sorry, guys, when that happens. It is not because we aren't paying attention. It is just because we have so much other things that we are doing. There are lots of things going on. And also, there were medical issues this year. It was the whole thing. <laughs> a lot of medical issues, a lot of doctors, a lot of hospitals. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. But I am excited to read Bloodthirst now because I feel like... He was a vampire. <laughs> he was definitely a vampire. He was a vampire. Remember that? I do. Anyways. I was just in the middle of <laughs> holding in a sneeze. So I, I was heard busy. you and I meant to comment. <laughs> I didn't mean to just sit here and be silent. I had just coughed and then a sneeze was coming on. I was like, he is a vampire. Oh, I want to comment on Ashley, but I have to sneeze. We're yes. a mess. Witchcraft, the occult, extremist beliefs, murder. Tune in to Rogue Darkness each Friday and join host Raven as I uncover horrific crimes committed under the misconceptions and misunderstandings of witchcraft and other belief systems. I'll cover a wide range of crimes involving ritualistic killings and extremist beliefs to cult persuasion and supposed possession. 
anything and everything that borders the line of horrifying. There's always three sides to a story. Side A, side B, and then the truth. Let's uncover the truth together and explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Available wherever you get your podcast fix, simply by searching Rogue Darkness. All right, well, today I'm going to be talking about something really horrific. Um, so no change, basically. Basically, we're yep. just continuing on. Here we go. And uh, just an additional warning for this story. I'm not going to have a lot of nice things to say about police officers. So That's okay. I I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. No, probably not. But if you are someone who takes offense to that or, you know, you have a Blue Lives Matter hat or whatever, like you might just want to sit this one out for both of our sakes because mm-hmm. I don't need another one-star review calling me a liberal for speaking out against police when they murder oh my people. God. Right. I don't need it in my life. Um, we don't. No negativity. Today I'm going to be talking about the Saskatoon freezing deaths, which is a part of a bigger phenomenon known as Canada's Starlight Tours, which oh is not a ride. <laughs> <laughs> the best text I received from Ashley was when we were going over our <laughs> topics. She said, it is not a theme park ride as it sounds. It does. Starlight Tours. It does. It absolutely does. But I had a feeling that it wasn't going to be a happy ride based on the true crime category. And then even I asked Joe, I was like, hey, do you know what Starlight Tours are? Because I didn't know if I was just out of the loop. And he was like, yeah. "Yeah." And I was like, oh, shit, really? I was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, the the tours that show you like the Hollywood homes. I was like, no. All right. That is so funny. Okay, that (laughs) makes me feel better that if Joe doesn't know, we can feel. (laughs) That's how I feel. Okay. So uh, we as white people are just this year coming to terms with the fact that Canada has a pretty disgusting history when it comes to the treatment of indigenous people. And Mm -hmm. I say we as white people because the indigenous population has known about this and has been vocal about this for generations. And they are just starting to be heard by a broader public. I mean, I will not lie. I was so shocked by the stories that were coming out and I felt really dumb for not being aware of any of it. It's very upsetting. The indigenous population of Canada numbered in the hundreds of thousands before European colonization and had dwindled down to about um, like 110,000 by the 1890s. And I remember the way I was I was always taught about colonization was like, oh, no, we want to teach them and bring them into society. And if they're dangerous or like they tried to murder us, we'd retaliate. But we didn't slaughter them by the millions, which is just like mm-hmm. factually incorrect. We absolutely right. did kill them. In May of this year, the remains of 215 indigenous children were found in unmarked graves on the property of a residential school. And for anyone who doesn't know, these schools were boarding schools that indigenous children were sent to in an attempt to assimilate them into white culture. They were forced to speak English or French in Canada only and convert to Christianity, which is a super Christian thing to do. Mm -hmm. This particular school was the Kamloops Indian Residential School. It was the largest one in the school system. Thousands of children died in these schools, and their bodies rarely made it home to their families. And the last federally run school didn't close until 1996. Jeez, I cannot believe that. That is such a long time. Yeah. 
such a long time. And the thing is, like, they've found 215 bodies. There's more. Right. They've already done, like, ground scans. There's more graves. They just haven't uh, been able to... Uncovered. Uncover them all yet, so... Oh, my gosh. And the youngest child was three years old. No. So, just to add insult to injury there. And that's unfortunately not the only dark spot on Canada's history of treating indigenous people like garbage. In the early 2000s, a disgusting act known as Starlight Tours were brought to light. Also known as Starlight Cruises and Midnight Rides, this act involves a police officer picking up an indigenous person for whatever, jaywalking, drunk and disorderly, loitering, whatever they wanted to charge, and then driving them out to the middle of nowhere in the winter, sometimes even taking their clothes and leaving them there to die. Oof. My God. So, like I said before, this is something the indigenous people have always known. You know, don't trust the police has been a pretty constant mantra in Canada and the U.S. Yeah. And and with both of our histories, not super shocked. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. trust them. I don't trust them myself. And I am a young white woman. So I can't imagine how any person of color would feel around yeah. a police officer. But right. the first recorded case of a Starlight tour occurred on May 22nd, 1976. During the night, three First Nations people, two men and a woman who was eight months pregnant, were taken from a party by an officer named Constable Ken King. They were driven to the outskirts of the city, dropped off by a power station near the South Saskatchewan River, and forced to walk back in the deadly freezing temperatures. Like I said, this was a known practice by indigenous people at the time. They even knew where they were as this was a known drop-off spot because the houses out there are far enough away that anyone left there by police wouldn't be heard if they screamed for help. Yeah. How dark is that? <sighs> my gosh, this is so disturbing. I cannot. I can't wrap my head around it. But these people actually survived the night, and they reported this event, making it the first recorded occurrence. Constable King was charged with discreditable conduct, and he was found guilty. He was charged with a $200 fine, which was about one week's pay for him. What? That's it? For attempted murder, which is exactly what this was. He just got a freaking fine. $200. And then, you know, no time off, no suspension, nothing. At least give us a suspension. No. Even a suspension is garbage, and we all know that, but it's like tale as old as time. We hear that with police officers always. So mm-hmm. I just can't believe he didn't even get sent away from work. No. I want to throw up. Okay. Not everyone was as lucky as those three, though. Uh, in 1990, the body of Neil Stonechild, who was a teenager in the Salto Cree First Nation, was found frozen in a field on the outskirts of Saskatoon. Police ruled his death an accident after a pathologist determined that his cause of death was hypothermia. Um, the police said there was no evidence of foul play, but his family noted that when they viewed the body upon burial, his face was swollen and he had marks around his wrists. They said it looked like his nose had been broken and that he had been tied up or possibly in handcuffs, which was corroborated by one of his friends, Jason Roy, who reported that he had seen Neil handcuffs in the back of a police car with his face cut open and bleeding five days prior to his body being found. Jeez. Even though he told people and reported this to the police before the body was even found, even though he submitted these reports to the police twice, 
Even though his account of events matched up with the injuries found on the body, police maintained that Stonechild died of exposure while he was on the way to prison to turn himself in. Which... Jeez. What? <laughs> if you're gonna lie, at least make up a good lie. Like, yeah, how... at least come up with something a bit better. So... I can't. In January of 2000, getting closer to today... In January of 2000, a man named Daryl Knight became another victim of a Starlight Tour, and he was luckily able to survive the three-mile walk home in negative seven-degree weather. He was driven outside the city limits of Saskatoon by officers Ken Munson and Dan Hatchin and made the walk with only a t-shirt and a jean jacket and a pair of jeans. Oof. In negative seven. That just makes my body hurt. Painful. I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, just, I mean, at some point, your body just goes numb, and you probably don't even know if your legs are still Exactly, and sometimes you literally die. I mean, dying of hypothermia is terrifying, but basically what happens is your body gets so cold, and you can't even, like, function, basically, and then you start feeling hot. You start feeling really, really hot. And sometimes people will even shed their clothes because they're feeling so hot. And I'm sure it's extremely confusing. I mean, by that point, who knows what your brain is doing? I was going to say there's probably a disconnect of your brain from your body. So that's why you start ripping off your clothes. And that's when you like really freeze to death. And And then you freeze. Oh, yeah. Knight reported he was leaving a party when the two officers grabbed and cuffed him. They dumped him in the freezing weather, and as he called out to them, it's freezing out here, they said, that's your fucking problem, and sped off. <sighs> what Yeah, kind of garbage person do you have to be? When Munson and Hatchin were asked to explain their actions, they claimed that Knight had asked to be dropped off out there so he could, quote, walk off his anger. Mm. So they were doing him a favor. Yeah, this was, he asked for it. We were just letting him do his thing. It's fine. He actually, Knight said he wasn't going to report the incident with the police because he's seen so many others attempt to do so and get ignored or worse, paid attention to, and then they have their lives Mm -hmm. fucking ruined. Yeah. But within days, the frozen bodies of two more First Nations people were discovered in the same area that Knight was found by a security guard who let him call a taxi. So, as a result of this incident, Knight was asked to make a full report, and that report set off a chain of events that included reopening the Stonechild case, the teenager, and revealing then to the public the extent of what was going on and how long it had been going on for. Good. Glad they finally told the world. But, (laughs) despite Mm. growing attention, neither of the two investigations produced any criminal charges, They said no police involvement was proven in the cases of the new dead men, um, and all of the responsibility was placed on the victims, saying that they were drunk, they must have wandered out there on their own, and frozen to death. Oh, my God. The inquiry into Daryl Knight's incident did result in a conviction, though. Both Munson and Hatchin were sentenced to eight months in prison, Just for reference, the maximum possible sentence was 10 years, and they got less than one. They were sentenced to eight months. They probably served, like, what, five, six, maybe? I was going to say, I'm sure they got, like, good behavior and were let go. Uh, Knight eventually left Saskatoon and moved to British Columbia because he had such horrific PTSD. 
He still, to this day, has trouble hearing and communicating as a result of his experience and being in the cold temperatures as long as he was, and he has never received an apology from the officers or the police department for what was done to him. Of course not. And to, oh my gosh. I know, it's, it's the most frustrating thing. It's so dark. In 2003, 13 years after Stonechild's body was found, an investigation into his death was finally reopened. Just a reminder, Stonechild was the teenager who was found frozen to death. The inquiry lasted a little over a year, and it was found that Constables Larry Hartwig and Bradley Singer had taken Stonechild into custody before his death, even though the police department claimed that they didn't have contact with him. Right. In November of 2004, Hartwig and Sanger were fired from duty. They appealed their dismissal and were rejected, but no criminal charges were filed. And as of 2021, no officer has ever been convicted for a Starlight tour. Wow. The two guys who got eight months were convicted of unlawful confinement. Basically, they took him into custody without a good enough reason. Yeah, and that's probably just a slap on the old wrist. Oh, yeah, I'm that, sure there's it nothing was perfunctory. Like, it was bullshit. I mean, it's, it's the worst. just trash. <laughs> when human rights groups continuously try to bring attention to this alleged practice of the Saskatoon Police Service and, you know, request inquiries into the multiple cases and accusations, the police insist that Starlight Tours are a myth. That's what they're what? going with now. It's a myth. doesn't really happen. Oh, my God. They have excuses for everything. Oh, they, they sure just... do. But they're never good. <laughs> no, the people are really buying bad. it. <laughs> Some people in the police force actually admitted by saying they believed that they do happen, but they weren't inherently evil. Basically, that they were probably officers just growing frustrated about dealing with repeat offenders, since a lot of these indigenous people this happened to were painted as drunk or rowdy or what have you. Um, and, and they're saying, like, maybe the police were just giving them a chance to walk off their intoxication and save them from being booked and fined, which is like... I don't know, a really fucked up way to sober someone up and still also an enormous abuse of power. Exactly. Super inhumane, not okay. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, then you're forgiven. No, that's still wrong. We're over it. Thank you. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's insane. Also, in 2012 and 2016, the Starlight Tours section of the Saskatoon Police Service's Wikipedia page was deleted several times. Oh, boy. And this was investigated. An internal investigation revealed that two of these deletions originated from a computer within the police station. Oh, wow. A spokesperson for the force denied that the removal of the content was officially approved by the force. They said that they were only able to confirm it was someone inside the force, but they couldn't pinpoint who did it. Case closed. I want to pull out all my hair, including my eyebrows and my eyelashes. Pull out all my hair. (laughs) When it comes to today, Starlight Tours are still reported. According to CBC News, a man they call Greg, who did not share his real identity because he was afraid of police retaliation, claims that he has survived four Starlight Tours. And when police were questioned, all they had to say about it was that Greg had a criminal record, as if that's an excuse for leaving a human being alone 30 miles outside of town in the cold 
Yeah, the fact that, I mean, that it happens everywhere, that police think that is the reason. Like, well, they committed a crime. Like, okay, but they are right, still a human being and what you did is not correct. Yeah. All right, convict them and yeah. have them convict them then. Appear in front of job. a jury of their peers. Like, that's the law, exactly. dude. Give them their rights. Uh, another woman, Alexis Young, who is a transgender First Nations filmmaker, said that she survived a Starlight tour once in which the officers even took her shoes and coat before leaving her outside of Saskatoon. Ugh, so it wasn't man, enough to, to drop her take off. Away what she had. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I just covered cases in Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, basically what are known as the freezing deaths cases. But also, I mean, this has happened. This is this is a, a widespread thing in in Canada problem that they're having in Montreal. An indigenous man named Julian Menezes reached a twenty five thousand dollar settlement with the city after Officer Stephanie Trudeau took him on a version of a starlight tour in which instead of leaving him in the cold to die, she drove around erratically in order to scare and intimidate him. Basically, he was handcuffed in the back seat without a seatbelt on, and she would accelerate and brake quickly so that he would slam into the plexiglass driver uh, divider Whoa. over and over again. My God. And that occurred in 2012. So she was not fired. <laughs> uh, oh. In fact, she ended up quitting on her own in 2015, and a year after she quit, she was barred from ever being an officer again for a different assault that occurred in 2012 of two indigenous men. Great. Well, I mean, I'm glad she's barred forever. She still should have gotten in much more trouble, Literally but at least nothing. she can't be an yeah. officer. Uh, at least she can't. Re she fucking retired. Like, she's whatever. Yeah, she's doing fine. She's fine. In addition to physical and mental abuse and death at the hands of police, indigenous people in Canada who are the victims of crimes are also ignored by the police to a frightening degree. According to the Human Rights Watch, Canadian law enforcement has failed to address problems leading to the disappearances and deaths of indigenous girls and women in Canada along Highway 16, which is now known as the Highway of Tears. Forty different cases have been linked to the Highway of Tears from 1969 to 2006, but in reality, the number is likely in the hundreds, and most of them remain unsolved. And before anyone says, but Ashley, the police force set up a special unit to investigate these cases. Only 18 of the cases have been investigated. And in oh 2015, this is another like crazy thing. In 2015, an assistant to the transportation minister was asked to look into and retrieve information on the Highway of Tears only for another colleague to arrive and delete all of the relevant files. Okay. Deleted them. Just... Just took him away. Took away everything. Of course, this, you know, colleague denied doing such a thing, but also resigned shortly after the incident and then, of course, was convicted a year later for lying about it. He admitted to giving a false testimony under oath and said that he deleted the files to keep them from ever going public. <sighs> so just a terrible person. All of that being said... I assume if you're still listening to this, you're probably already aware, but when people, myself included, say ACAB, which stands for All Cops Are Bastards, this is the kind of thing we're talking about, that it's not good enough to just be a cop that doesn't racially profile or a cop that doesn't assault people or murder people or rape people. We need police officers to hold other police officers accountable for the shit that they do. 
Exactly. This whole like covering up for them and standing behind them no matter what their actions are is terrifying. And for those of you who say like, no, back to blue, blah, 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 just because they aren't targeting you doesn't mean you are safe. Right. So many people say like, oh, well, they broke the law or they have a record or they were drunk. And that doesn't mean that they deserve to be killed, raped or abused in some way. Just like you don't deserve to be killed, raped or abused for the many times you've probably gotten out of hand in public or private setting when you were drunk. Right. Just because these people, anyone who's getting arrested, I don't care who they are. And, and abused by the police, whether it's women getting raped by them in their squad cars or black men getting shot in the back or indigenous people being taken out in the middle of nowhere and left in the freezing cold. Like, I don't care what they I don't care if they killed a person. They don't deserve that. They deserve to be arrested and charged and tried. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anything else? Everyone is still a is human wrong. that deserves their rights. You yeah, it's. I think that's what annoyed me the most about, you know, last year when, like, it all started with the marches and the bigger protests and the country starting to talk about it. All of the counter arguments were, why are we all fighting for George Floyd? He was a piece of shit. He had drugs in his system. He did that. Like, I don't care Doesn't what matter. he did. He was still a human. And they should have, if they were mad about what he was doing, and even if he did have counterfeit money, which ended up being proven wrong, yeah. like, then he would have been taken to jail and he would have been questioned and he would have gone through the whole process. He was a human being that deserved to live yeah. and that's not what happened to him. And it doesn't matter what he did. And I think that's what people aren't understanding. Like, criminals are people. No matter what they did, they are a human who has rights and they are a human who still deserves to live, but just be punished. They, It yeah. is not crime equals death. That's not how it works. No one's upset that George Floyd got arrested. No, that is not why people were marching. Did he do something illegal? Then he should be arrested. That's not yeah. why people are upset. And like, right. that's the thing is that all these people just like arguing for the police side of these these incidences where we especially the ones where we have video, and we can prove that they did a bad thing. Right. What they don't realize is that that could be them someday. It's true. But nobody thinks about that. No one thinks about it. And we're not denying that there are a couple police officers out there who are good people. But as Ashley said, then they need to be holding the bad mm -hmm. eggs accountable and they need to be calling them out and making sure that they are getting in trouble for what they're doing and they are getting fired and they are getting put in jail. But instead, there's this, you know, brotherhood and sisterhood and everybody just sticks together and covers each other's asses. Yeah. And it's not fair. And departments cover shit up for their police officers. And that's scary shit when you think about it. Like whoever you are, it doesn't matter if you're a person of color or a white person or a Christian yes. or a Muslim. Like it doesn't matter. Like it should be scary to every single person knowing right. that a police officer can come into your home, do whatever the hell they want to you, and nothing will happen to them. Yep. That's terrifying. Exactly. <laughs> it's so, so scary. Oh, yeah. So Canada, not as uh, nice as we thought they were <laughs> up it there. It was eye-opening to discover Dude. that they had issues, too. Look at that. I actually, hold on. Let me see what this podcast is. Because when I was looking for um, a case to cover on mm -hmm. today's episode, I'm, I'm not huge on true crime. Um, and I was trying to find something a little bit, I don't know, a little bit different. Yeah. I ended up doing true crime, which is great. 
um, because I found something I actually was interested in. But there's a it's called Canadian. Oh, it's just called Canadian True Crime. It's a podcast. I was just going to say that's the one I came across. It's literally just Canadian True Crime. Canadian True Crime dot CA slash episodes. If you want to check them out, I'm sure they're on iTunes as well. I found them on this website, but they've got um, right now 93 episodes and it's all true crime stories out of Canada. So if you guys are interested, I would absolutely check that out. Yeah, they have good ratings. Seems like they're pretty established. Yeah, that's where I found my case. And I saw your guy on there as well. I was going to say, I would not be surprised if Bowden is on there. And I'm sure he's on a couple American podcasts too. But yeah, if you want to learn more about Canada and their horrific criminals, give them a listen. Give them a call. What? Uh, that's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you all so much for tuning in every week to listen to our voices. And make sure you're ready for next week because we have a very spooky episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to be telling listener ghost stories. We're about to record Woo-hoo. it right now. I'm so excited. So excited. Your favorite and ours. <laughs> and ours. <laughs> In the meantime, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. Rate our show five stars on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash keepitweirdpodcast because we have a ton of free content on there. It's just waiting for you, waiting for your eyes and ears. (laughs) Make sure you subscribe to Ask Me Everything and listen to that on Monday. And check out our Etsy store for some really freaking cool merch at www.etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast. Oh, Canada. (laughs) The only reason I know the tune is because of hockey games. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. I don't know beautiful. the words though, except for Oh Canada. Oh Canada, my Canada. Thank you for letting us explore your nooks and crannies. We really enjoyed digging deep into ya, I'm sure the did. great white north. I'm sure we'll be back. We'll be back, and we can't wait to try a bag of milk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And keep Keep it it weird. weird. (laughs) Eh? Eh? Uh. All right. That's going to be the first sound you hear when you put your headphones on. You're so lucky. (laughs) So lucky you get to edit this. I feel so blessed. (laughs) 